Uh, grab your Bibles. We're going to be in Hebrews, Hebrews 13. Folks, we have done it. We have gotten through the book of Hebrews. It's taken us uh, about a year. Yeah, let's just give yourself a hand. You got... You made a 40-minute letter a whole year. We did it. Um, so this, this letter has been so good to us. Um, one of the main reasons why we do this, why we preach through, um, take a book like Hebrews, and a letter like Hebrews, and, and, and preach through it verse by verse, exegetically, expositionally, um, is so that we can see the truth of um, 2 Timothy, where it says every word, every word in this book, is breathed out from God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that each of us, the man and woman of God, may be complete. Amen to that. May be complete and equipped for every good work. Equipped for every good work. So remember that line, equipped for every good work. Um, Last week we even saw in the greeting section of uh, Romans 16, right? It's this greeting but you're, you're seeing this picture of the community of God, the table of God, being open, being welcome to people of all different social economic statuses, all different places in society. It's this picture of the diversity of the unshakable kingdom. And it's such a gift to us, even in the greeting. So, so we'll see when we open up this word that in genealogies, in, in poems, in parables, in narrative, the mystery of God is unfolded unfolded to us, and we get to receive that. And, and even this week, as we're in uh, kind of the benediction section, the ending of this book, we'll see that there's still more for us. So last week, Jave, uh, Jake gave us a, uh, a better framework on leadership. If you remember the, the chart that he, he kind of gave us, um, a better framework for thinking about what leadership is, that true Jesus-like leadership leaders um, will for the most part, not be the type of leaders that our world drums up for us. And so we kind of saw that contrast. We tend to kind of overlay uh, the world's perspective, the world's vision for leadership over the church and hope that that works out. And we find that progress-driven, control-oriented leadership doesn't actually work in the kingdom of God. It's built on faith. It's built on desperation and not on that type of confidence in our own self. Jesus-centered leadership will lead to flourishing. And that's a matter of faith, but it will lead to flourishing. But power-driven, uh, advantage-leveraging leadership won't. It, it won't. It will masquerade as flourishing. And we'll be tempted to believe it, but it will ultimately steal from us. So uh, in our last section um, in the study of Hebrews, um, I think the, the author wants to, God wants to impart a, a final vision um, for us here, that's, that's vital for living in this world, living this life. It's necessary, and that's why it's in there. It's because it's God's word for us. It's breathed out. Um, so I think this is going to instruct us as a faith family on how to be the church here in McKinney. So would you stand for the reading of God's word? Hebrews 13, Hebrews 13, 17 through 25. Hebrews 13, 17 through 25. Now, Jake said last week we were going to uh, talk about leadership and submission. However, he conveniently really kind of left out the submission part. Left that for me this week. So, real excited to get into this text this morning. All right, this is verse 17. It says this. We're coming out with it. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls 
as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Verse 20. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead the Lord, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, verse 21, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in you, working in us, that which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. In verse 22, the final greeting here. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation. For I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So I want, I want to say this to kind of set up this morning. Uh, if Jesus, how we, we have there in verse 20, if Jesus is the, the great shepherd, then we are all sheep. That's the premise for this talk. That's the premise for this, the understanding of this section. We are all sheep. Church members, church partners, those of you who just attend, pastors, elders, leaders are all sheep. In fact, that's actually how humans were designed. We were designed that we need to be led. We are a people that need to be led. We're a people that need our God, need our creator. And he's made us that way. We were designed, in other words, to follow. We were designed to follow. And, 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 and who we follow and why is kind of what we're talking about this morning. So last week we saw that there's... there's all sorts of selfish motive. There can be all sorts of selfish motivation in, in who we follow and why we follow, why we follow someone or some idea or some institution, and and that doesn't stop at the doors of the church, right? It doesn't stop there. This selfishness or the tendency towards selfishness in who we follow, it can even influence how we think about and how we follow Jesus Himself. So the main one of the main reasons, or the main reason for the sake of our talk this morning, we follow someone is because we think they can either deliver to us an advantage, or at least they can alleviate our pain. That's one of the reasons, one of the main reasons why we follow someone. The problem is, is that we, um, we don't always know what's best for ourselves. We don't always know what's best for our life. We don't actually always know exactly what we need. So this is why the word of God is so important to us. And that's why we're going to it this morning. Because it not only diagnoses our issues accurately, but it also gives us a framework or a, a, a trellis to grow on, to grow with. The word of God provides that for us. For example, we've been in the book of Hebrews and there's a whole section in chapter 12 that talks about the discipline of the Lord. And what does it say about the discipline of the Lord? It says that it's painful for the moment. But it will produce in us virtues that we all aspire to possess. So if, if, if the way in which you live your life is that you try to avoid pain, try to avoid discomfort, 
you'll ultimately miss the healing provided in the provision of the Father through his discipline. You'll actually miss the growth. You'll miss the ability for your character to develop. So if you're just living your life trying to avoid pain, you might actually be missing out the very pain that's going to set you free, the very pain that might uh, heal you. And so that's why the word of God is so important. Another section here, uh, flip back in, your, in, in verse 13, or in chapter 13 to verse 9. Verse 9. I think we'll have it here. Uh, it says this. And th- this, is, this is the author, the, the word of God, correcting bad framework for leadership. He says this. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. Do not be led by diverse and, tra- and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. So he's calling out bad leadership. He's calling out a, a, a system of leadership that is do this, don't do this, do this, don't do that. And it's built around morality. It's built around moral teaching rather than relationship with Jesus that's predicated on grace. Feel like you're growing. And he's going, if you go down that route, you, it will feel like you're growing, but you're actually dying. That type of living actually ends up killing you. Grace is the only thing that can set you free. It's the only thing uh, that you can receive that actually heals you. And so the word of God says embrace grace rather than just morality, a list of do's and don'ts. It's saying look and see how bad leadership, a bad framework of leadership can actually lead you away from this confronting healing. Eugene Peterson gives us this confronting yet comfortable or comforting truth. He says that Jesus doesn't take you where you want to go. He takes you where he is going. Jesus doesn't take you where you want to go. He takes you where he is going. And that's the whole word of God. It's, a, it's it opposing us so that it can show us how it's for us, how God is for us. So that's a comforting truth, but it's also very challenging to our American individualized selves. Would you agree? Um, we often can kind of commit to Jesus. We say, hey, I'm going to follow you until it starts to challenge our vision of living. It starts to challenge our cultural understanding of what success is or what good is. And in that moment, we have this big question mark. Maybe the word of God, when we read it, uh, it, it disagrees with Jesus' sensibilities. But if he is the Lord, if Jesus is Lord and Savior, Savior and Lord, um, we follow him by obeying his commands. So at the end of Hebrews here, uh, this is how our author, this is how the Lord is winding down this book um, with this final command. And we're going we're to take a look at it uh, this morning, this, uh, this command to obey your leaders and submit to them. Uh, to be honest, all the elders wanted to teach this, uh, but I had to really fight them off. I really wanted this one. I was like, oh, man, give me that one. I can't wait. Uh, super excited uh, for this text. Uh, in hindsight, it probably would have been a great week to have a guest speaker. Don't you agree? A guest speaker's like, hey, your leaders, obey them. And then he's out. Uh, no, but I'm excited for what the text has. The Holy Spirit has already shown up and, and uh, unveiled his heart. So we're going to focus on two parts this morning. We're going to focus on verse 17. So keep, that, keep your Bibles open. 
um, which is church leadership, uh, and, and this is lowercase shepherds, okay? And then in verse 20, we're going to get to Jesus as our great shepherd, the great shepherd of the sheep. So this is the beauty of the, a text like this, is that the, the under-shepherds, the, 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 the human uh, aspect of this, sit underneath the covering of who? The great good shepherd, shepherd of the flock, Jesus Christ. So that's what we're going to take comfort in, and that's what we're going to lean into this morning. So we're talking about the relationship between the church and her leaders, human shepherds, elders, namely, and then the relationship between the church and the great shepherd. So let's read verse 17 again. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So there's two groups of people <clears throat> excuse me, being instructed here, but we're going to start with this first command. It doesn't make a suggestion, but it says, obey your leaders and submit to them. Um, this verse can obviously be taken out of context, right? Um, it can obviously be weaponized to manipulate or control uh, a group of people, a, a church body. Um, it is saying something specific, but I want to make sure we see what it's saying and what it's not saying. It is not a call. It is not a call to absolute submission to church leaders. This isn't a call to absolute submission. Absolute submission is reserved only for Christ. Church leaders, elders, as obvious as it is, they are not God. <laughs> they are not God. Uh, they are not infallible. Church leadership is not infallible. You know this. Um, their authority is not absolute. Therefore, your submission and obedience is not absolute. Only God gets absolute obedience and submission. So I really want to make this clear this morning, okay? What, what, what this text is saying. All structures of submission in the New Testament, and you've, and you've heard many of them, uh, are calls, they're calls to submit to what? The, the government, um, wives to husbands, children to parents, believers to the church. All of those sit under the watchful authority of Jesus. All of those structures of submission sit underneath the watchful authority of Jesus Christ. So Jesus never asks us to submit to sin. He never asks us to submit to sin. He never says, just blindly follow. There are all these caveats. If you read your New Testament, there are these caveats throughout these texts that are embedded in all these structures that release you as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, as a, as a sheep in his flock, release you from submission to any directives that dishonor God or disobey God. So as you hear, as I hear, and it's common, and that's why this text is so difficult, as you hear about fallen leaders, as you hear about scandals, failures of leadership, Leaders who, for the sake of preservation of an image or an institution, they turn a blind eye to victims or they dismiss it altogether. As you see those things, it's very tempting for us to not only distrust leaders, leadership, but to even be skeptical that any form of submission is not good for us at all. That you could just reject 
and resist submission altogether. And that would make for a better life. This is the American way. This is what my way is good for me. Your way is good for you. I'm going to maximize comfort in my life. I'm going to maximize pleasure. And that looks like looking out for my own interests as long as they don't maybe hurt you or infringe on you. That's kind of our basic understanding of living. And I'm, I'm there with you on submission. When I, when I see a text like this, when I read a text like this, I, I bristle. Do you? I bristle a little bit. And so that's okay. But I want us to see this. True Christian submission at its core is an expression of faith. True submission is always, always an expression of faith in God himself and in all of his promises. When you submit to a framework that God has given, it is, it is faith in action. What is faith? We, we saw it in the, the first line of chapter 11 in Hebrews, but we've got it here. Faith is confident assurance of things not yet seen. It's confident Positive assurance of events not yet seen. Assurance of those things. And it's expressed in action. What does the Bible say? Faith without works is what? It's dead. So faith not expressed in an action, which is what we have before us with this call, is actually dead. If you say, oh, I have so much faith, I have so much faith, but it's never expressed it's never lived out. It's, it's, actually, it's actually dead. So we have an opportunity here for faith to be stirred, for us to grow in following Jesus. Faith is not just believing in God. It is believing God. It's taking him at his word. It's believing his word. So faith is trust that the structures... The structures that God sets up in our life, albeit in a fallen world, still possess the promises of flourishing and are ultimately for our good. Faith expressed is trust that the structures that God sets up in our life, that these are actually for our good. It takes faith. It takes great patience. We're following Jesus, right? This is a, a room of Jesus followers. He himself led a life of submission. And it, I'd be remiss if I didn't just mention the life of submission that Jesus demonstrates to us. He says this, I only do what the Father tells me to do. I only do what the Father tells me to do. In the garden before the cross, Jesus was experiencing so much bodily stress and emotional tension that his sweat glands Fill with blood, and yet he says what? Nevertheless, your will, not mine. Your will, not mine. Philippians 2.8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, even to the point of death. Even death on a cross. So Jesus demonstrates what submission looked like, what submission should look like. So when we as Christians deny ourselves and submit ourselves to those in authority over us, we are doing something distinctively Christ-like. Whenever we say, nevertheless, your 
will, not mine. Your plan, not mine. Your framework, not mine. Your authority, not mine. We are acting like and embodying the posture of Jesus that, that I'm trusting you, Father. Posture. So we're invited into something good here. Uh, it's difficult, but it is good. So remember that all forms of godly submission, isn't this fun? <laughs> all forms of godly submission require patience and faith. Faith that the Father knows what we need when we need it. All of it requires faith. There's a, a, a side note that I, w- I want to say just to, as, a, as a warning uh, that true uh, submission begins when you actually disagree with that leader or that structure. When you actually disagree, when you have an opposite preference uh, in a given situation, that's actually when submission begins. You could say, hey, I submit. I love to submit to Jesus. I love to submit to his way. Uh, But when you have a disagreement, when you say, hey, I actually think it should be this way, and I don't like how that feels, I'm going to press against that. I'm going to reject that maybe altogether. That's actually not submission, and that's you demanding that that system or that leader or that structure that God maybe has laid out submits to you. It's literally the opposite if you only submit to the point of disagreement. It's the opposite. So we have to be really careful. I want you to be watchful of that subversive temptation in your life. It's, it's tempting for me. It's tempting for all of us when we see stuff like this in, in our word. to go, I, I don't know about that all. Uh, you know, the Jefferson Bible, I'm going to cut that piece out. I don't want that piece in my life. So the instruction we're receiving to submit here is clear, but there are two grip, groups being instructed. The second is the leaders themselves, and it says two things. They are to keep watch over the people's souls, which is good news, and then second, that they will have to give an account. And that's what I want to focus on. They, they will have to give an account to God himself on how they stewarded this responsibility. So I'd love to give a bunch of time on these things, but we, we, don't, have, we don't have time to, to, to dig into. But I'd love to talk to you about that watchful piece. Um, but I, I want you to see this, that the, the call to submission to church leadership is not a call to follow authoritarian leaders, but leaders who are themselves submissive. It's saying you submit to leader within the church, you submit to leadership that is submitted to God. Under the great shepherd, you submit to leadership that is submitted to God in the church. We will give uh, all leaders will give an account for the actions and how this opportunity is, how this responsibility is steered. In uh, the book of James, it says this, this is James 3, 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. That is such an exciting verse to quote whilst teaching. <laughs> uh, the, the central theme to this text, though, is this. It's, it, it, submission is a part of it. But I want us to see this. this the, the real central theme is actually joy. It's actually joy. Uh, why? It's the central theme of our entire Bible. It's the central theme of the Christian life. Joy, believe it or not, is the central theme and purpose to our life. The Westminster Catechism, we've said it, you've heard it. Man's chief end is to glorify God and what? 
enjoy him forever. That's your purpose. If you're looking for the will of God, to glorify him and just enjoy him now and forever. So the second part of this verse is let leaders with joy. Let leaders with joy and not groaning. Uh, Let them lead with joy and not groaning, for that is of no benefit to you. If leaders do not lead from and are not animated by, sustained by joy, they are of no advantage to the church they lead. None. They're of no advantage. So in order to love well and to be an advantage to the body, the leader, and this is who this text is instructing, the leader must be devoted to joy themselves, happiness themselves, gladness in the Lord. Gladness in the Lord, joy in the Lord. Uh, ministry is often a great joy. Uh, I, I love getting to do what we do here. I know the elders all share that enthusiasm and joy. It is, uh, it is such a gift to be able to lead here. Um, however, it can be difficult at times. It, it can be challenging. Uh, it's, it's hard to explain uh, how pastoral ministry can be so challenging, you know? I mean, we only work one day a week, so, you know. Just kidding. <laughs> uh, it's difficult because uh, when you start expressing this, it kind of sounds like complaining or it sounds like, uh, like shaming or nagging or anything like that. But I assure you, that's not what we're talking about this morning. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not what the text is talking about. Dallas Willard says this, that, that pastors should be the happiest people. But many pastors that I know are uh, not the most joy-filled people. I'm not talking about kind of happy-go-lucky, but I'm talking about truly joyful. And I think it's because, honestly, I think it's because a lot of pastors are exhausted. They're exhausted for a lot of reasons. Some of those are sinful uh, reasons. Some of those are uh, the expectations that are put on them. them. Some of them, they're exhausted just by the pace of it all, the demand of it all. Um, a friend of mine this week, he, he said this in a funny way of expectations put on church leaders. He says, we want pastors to grow fast-growing churches, but also churches that have intimate, vulnerable community groups. We want them to grow attractional churches that also are incarnational, justice-oriented, but are not political. Theologically rich sermons understood by the students. Pastors to have a fantastic marriage, a family life that's a small person that is also relatable to singles. Led by a big vision, given by a small personality. Deeply rooted in the city, but also multiplying. Relevant teaching, but not driven by cultural issues. You kind of get the point, right? Uh, I could go on and on. Uh, uh, These are all actually really good things. I, I would want a church to look like that. However, they cannot be embodied in one person. They actually must be expressed uh, in, in the many, in the church itself. And so any, any good pastor should know and recognize that even if all those things were true about his church, that you don't find abiding joy in those things. But the point is this. Ephesians 4 says, pastors, elders, leaders in the church are to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. We live in a culture that honestly kind of tries to have the opposite model. It's, it's upside down. The people give, attend, support leaders so that 
they can do the work of the ministry. And then people then benefit by attaching themselves, and you've seen it, the attaching themselves to inspiring leadership and vicariously lives their spiritual life through that particular leader. This is not the, the model. It's not the model. Ephesians 4 is reversed. Pastors, leaders, equip the saints to do the work of the ministry, not, not the opposite. So it's important. And I love that this church is, uh, it's, I think it's flipping it on its head. It's flipping it right side up. God is stirring a hunger here, um, a hunger that's not satisfied with some form of engineered success, right? Who, who wants that? Let me tell you what I don't want, and I know the elders don't want. We don't want to get to the end of our days and present some sort of engineered success to God and say, look what we did. And he's like, I never asked, I never asked for that. That was your vision. I want to present to God the church, my life, my family, under the expectations and the direction of what he has asked for. So oftentimes I think, well, what's scary is that we can think that our job is to actually engineer success as pastors, as people, as Christians. And man, we're going to get to the end of our days and we're going to present to God something that he never asked for. But through his word, thankfully, he's giving us direction. He's giving us direction. So our author is saying to the church, he's saying to you, to me, if the weight of ministry becomes too heavy, too burdensome, that it quenches joy, leadership is of zero advantage to you. It's of no advantage, whether it's death by expectations or from complaining or grumbling. The pastors and elders cannot operate as they were intended. Why is it then? To your advantage, that leaders are joy-filled people. If you preserve the joy in your relationship with leaders, they can humbly and effectively watch over and protect your joy. That's that watchfulness piece. That if the relationship between you and leadership is, is one that's marked by joy, they will preserve joy in your life protect you from things that might seem like joy in the moment that kind of be against you because they're really for you that's what a good counselor does that's what a good parent does right they're against you because they're so for you and that is the expression of how the relationship can work when joy is at the center of it it's this beautiful circle of care which is pretty cool um, I, I just want to say this, though. In a, in, a, in a sermon like this, in a talk like this, I want to remind you how we feel as, as your pastors, how we feel as your leaders, that we are deeply honored, deeply honored to enter into the difficult spaces with you. I am personally deeply honored um, to counsel with you, to pray with you, to live life alongside you. We are walking together towards the Lord, and that is, it is one of the greatest honors of my life. To be in those spaces, to be in the difficult times, to be in the hard spaces of living. And I hope that you hear that's the heart of this message. That's the heart of the text itself. Um, that, that we would protect one another from missing out on the beauty of the body of Christ. We all have unique roles. And each one plays an equal, equal part. Each one, have, each one has equal value as the body sits under the headship of Jesus Christ. And that's an encouragement to me. 
So I hope you see that. I hope you see that this morning, that, that leadership and submission, they share the same value in the kingdom of God. Unlike the kingdom of this world, where, where leadership is prized over pretty much everything, um, the expression of leadership and submission are actually just totally equal, beautiful things that we actually all do together. Um, so that's a gift to us. Let's, let's finish out here with Hebrews 13, 20 through 21. Grab your Bible. Hebrews 20, 13, 20 through 21. It says this. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good thing that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. What are we to have joy in here? A perfect community? Phenomenal leadership? No. We are to have joy in the great shepherd. And this is a fitting end and benediction to the book of Hebrews. Wouldn't you say? The whole text has been Jesus is better. Whatever you're trusting in, whatever system, whatever framework, whatever person, whatever ideology, whatever religiosity, Jesus is better. The great shepherd, the great watchful shepherd is better than all of those things. So it's saying trust, uh, trust and follow godly under shepherds who joyfully submit to the great and glorious shepherd. In, this, uh, in verse 17 that we just came out of, this phrase, with joy. It's, a, it's this Greek phrase, metakara. And this phrase is only found one other time in the book of Hebrews. Uh, turn back like two pages. Uh, Hebrews 10.34. Hebrews 10.34. And I think we'll have it. But it's only found one other time. And it's here in the book of Hebrews. This phrase. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the building up of your mansions and your property. No. And you joyfully, and you with joy, and you met Kara, accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and a, an abiding one, a lasting one. You with joy saw that everything you had could be plundered because you had a better possession, because your joy was not found in the things of this world. Your joy is found in Christ himself, in the great shepherd. And so that is the key piece to the whole puzzle here, is who you find joy in, what you find joy in, has to be Jesus. And when it's Jesus, everything else is lost for the sake of this beautiful love, loving relationship we have with Jesus. Psalm 16 says this, in, in, in the presence of God there is fullness of joy. At his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. What's at, Jesus, what's at God's right hand right now? Who is at God's right hand? Jesus is at God's right hand. He's not in your heart. Holy Spirit's in your heart. He's in your life working. Jesus himself, the person of Jesus, is sitting at the right hand of God, and there is pleasures forevermore in him. He is the treasure. He is the treasure. So because of Jesus' blood, which our text says, his resurrection, God covenants with his people forever. That, in, that we see in verse 21, the practical provision of God's promises. Verse 21, maybe have it before you. 
He equips you externally and internally. Because of this covenant made possible by Jesus through the Holy Spirit, he promises and covenants with his people, with you, with me, under Christ, forever. By the Holy Spirit, it says he equips you with everything good that you may do his will. Everything good that you may do his will. He gives you all you need circumstantially right now to do the will of God. Every gift, every tool you will need to faithfully do God's will, you have presently in Christ. You may be thinking, oh, if, if this was dif- different, if I had this, if I didn't work here, if my temperament was different, if I had this gifting, this talent, or this situation was altered, then I could be a good follower of Jesus. Nope. In Christ, if you are a sheep, shepherded by Jesus, you presently have everything you need to fulfill the purposes of God in your life. Is that good news? Right now, in Christ, you have what it takes to follow Jesus fully and please God, that which is pleasing. Because here's the second part. He works in you. He doesn't just give you tools in your hands, but he works in you, meaning that he equips your heart. He equips your soul. He equips your mind. He transforms your mind. That's a, that's a, that he literally changes your mind. He renews your mind and he conforms you to the image of his son and it's pleasing for him to do it. And all of this, all that we've talked about this morning brings glory to God. All of it brings glory to God. That, remember, 2 Timothy, that you may be complete and may be equipped for every good thing, seeing that Jesus is better. That's the goal. That's the heart of God for you, for me, that you and I are equipped to every good thing and that we see that Jesus is better and we enjoy him forever. And to enjoy him, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. We have that opportunity today. Today is the day of salvation, right now. You can begin to enjoy God fully. And you can do that forever. This is a quote that's actually in our kitchen. At least part of this quote. It's George Mueller. And this is how I want to end. It says this. According to my judgments, the most important point to be attended to is this. Above all things, see to it that your souls are happy in the Lord. Other things may press upon you. The Lord's work may even have urgent claims upon your attention. But I deliberately repeat, it is of supreme and paramount importance that you should seek above all things to have your souls truly happy in God himself. Day by day, seek to make this the most important business of your life. This has been my firm and settled condition for the last five and 30 years. For the first four years after my conversion, I knew not its vast importance, but now after much experience, I especially commend this point to the notice of my younger brethren and sisters in Christ. The secret of all true effectual service is joy in God. Having experimental acquaintance and fellowship with God himself. That's what the text is about. That's what Christian living is about. That's what the church is about. It's for our joy. The structures of submission are 
believe it or not, they're actually for our joy. So may we get a perspective on this that is from him. Amen? So I've got a couple questions that we're going to take to the Lord in prayer. Would you just get in a posture ready to pray? These are questions that we're going to submit to the Holy Spirit this morning. And we're going, to ha- we're going to ask that he would answer them. Okay? He will be faithful to do so. He wants you to be free. The first one is this. Why do I resist or flat out reject the call to submission? Why do you, why do I resist and reject the call to submission? Why do we bristle? He wants to reveal to you why you, uniquely you, have trouble with this. Maybe he's showing you that there needs to be healing. There's some healing that needs to happen. He wants to excavate that. He knows your pain. He knows your fears. And then just on a really practical level of understanding how we receive joy. Does my schedule look like someone, someone's who understands where true joy is found? How I allot my time, my resource. Does it look like someone who knows where true joy is found? Or am I looking for joy in a whole bunch of different places? This is a beautiful time. This is a a brief moment, though. God, through the Holy Spirit, through his word, wants to speak to you this whole week. Every day, he wants to be your daily bread. So come to him. Run to him. You would seal. He is what you're looking for. Jesus, we entrust you with all of these things. We pray that you would seal uh, what your word has said to us. I pray that any of my own words, Sam's words, would, would just absolutely fall and, and would be uh, not remembered, actually. But if it's your word, your word is eternal. So may those words penetrate our heart and transform us. We, we, we ask that you would continue to conform us to the image of Jesus, that we would we begin to embody his practices and therefore embody uh, his character. That in some miraculous way, we would start looking like Jesus. There would be elements of our words and speech that 
are just simply from you. Our actions in faith are a gift that we want to receive and, and utilize. So thank you, God, for your word this morning. Thank you for this church. And amen. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray all these things. And everybody said, amen. amen. Thank you for listening.